Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we've been bringing you guys lots of trade deadline content before the deadline, and that is not changing today. We brought on our boss, David Locke. Uh, he's the play-by-play -play voice of the Utah Jazz. Also, of course, the host of the Locked On Jazz podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And we brought him on here today, Gavin, to talk about a potential Alec Burks deal, uh, among other less savory things for Knicks fans. Yeah, we thought we thought this was going to be a, a, a jovial conversation with, with our friend David uh, about Alec Burks um, for uh, potentially Joe Ingles in a trade, maybe a first round pick. Uh, David uh, is interested in the deal, but uh, with with an important caveat that we will let him explain. And uh, we talk a little Donovan Mitchell rumors. So this conversation uh, does not go on for that long, but you will see right now for yourself on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making us your first listen every day, whether it's on your favorite podcast platform or maybe you're one of our, our thousand now plus uh, subscribers on YouTube, in which case, thank you guys so much for getting us over that plateau this week. That was awesome. But regardless, thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And he is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play -play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play -play broadcaster. Unless, maybe, you've been supplanted by our current guest today, which I guess I, I, I should tread lightly. This is our boss on with us today, David Locke. Uh, you might know him as at DLock09 on Twitter or on Instagram, of course. Hosted Locked on Jazz podcast and the play-by-play -play man for the jazz on the radio. David, how are you doing today? Um can we talk about the the Rays or whatever? No, I'm kidding. Um, how are you doing today? How's things with the Jazz right now? I think, the, I think the Rays have been good last time I checked. On, they're on pretty the, solid. On, yeah, on they're payments. not bad. Yeah, We're so, doing okay. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I'm good because Donovan Mitchell just cleared concussion protocol finally. So hopefully Donovan is ready to play here shortly and the Jazz can get back to playing basketball the way they did uh, uh, you know, at one point this season. Yeah, so – you know, that's what we want to talk about today, obviously. You know, there's uh, a pretty catastrophic injury for the Jazz recently. Joe Ingles goes down with a torn ACL. I thought previously that the, the Knicks and Jazz would be good potential trade partners, even leaving aside the Jingles situation. But now the, the Jazz currently sit at 31-21. and 21. They're fourth in the Western Conference. They've lost 11 of their last 14 games. Of course, uh, it was pretty well reported. They got bit by the COVID bug quite a bit later than most teams, which I think really uh, sort of added to that whole thing. So how do you think the recent struggles, and then we'll, we'll talk about the Jingles injury in a, in a minute too, a little more in depth, but how do you think that that changes the Jazz's strategy going into the trade deadline, or do you think their strategy has pretty much always been the same regardless? 
Yeah, I don't think it changes it a great deal. I think it might make it a little more difficult, right? At this point, Joe Ingles simply becomes a contract to trade, not a player. Um, though in a lot of circumstances, you know, the, most teams probably that were competing for a playoff spot weren't about to give the Jazz some great, awesome player that pushed the Jazz over the edge while taking Joe Ingles um, unless they had a real tax problem. And so I think in most circumstances here, you know, Joe Ingles, you're still trading the contract, which you might have just been trading anyway. And so it's, I'm not convinced it's a massive difference. There's a few, you know, you look at those teams that are hovering between maybe not eight and nine, 10, 11, 12, right? In the standings, those teams, they're probably still trying to make the playoffs, but might have been willing to make a financial change or fix their books a little bit or an expiring contract. But a player is something they wanted, and now they might not be interested um, because Joe Ingles is out. But otherwise, um, you know, and the Jazz now have a gap they need to fill. Daniel House is on the roster on a 10-day contract is the most likely player to fill that, and he started 50-some-odd games for Houston, but that's not quite the same thing as Joe Ingles. Who do you think is the ideal target for the Jazz at this point? Because it you feels like they've great. Been- By the yeah. way, I want to point this out, is that you're in New York. I'm in Utah, so I know that siren's coming from your end of things. <laughs> <laughs> you, you caught me. Um, maybe maybe it's, it's the Jazz injury alert siren, but we um, – I feel like Utah has been looking for the same type of guy the last couple of seasons, right? Like maybe an upgrade on that Royce O'Neal spot, a, a genuine perimeter stopper who doesn't take anything away on the offensive end. The names that have been thrown around for the Jazz are the names that have been thrown around for essentially every contender in the NBA. Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes. Um, I'm assuming, particularly with the Joe Ingles injury, the Jazz don't necessarily have the assets to acquire either of those two. Who would you say, or, or rather, or maybe just a player type, who, who would be the Jazz's ideal realistic target at this point? Yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting conversation because I'm not sure I buy into it quite the way everybody else has discussed it. So we're, the, no, before everyone got hurt, we were the best offensive team in the NBA by like five points for 100 possessions. Like they, It wasn't like the Jazz were sort of good offensively. They were like elitely dominant offensively. They, the most interesting thing that was to me that was going on in the league was that for most of the year, the best defensive player in the world, Rudy Gobert, was on the best offensive team in the world. And the best offensive player in the world was on the best defensive team in the world in Steph Curry. And what you have is you have this dominant player that bends the entire floor on one side, and therefore you can build your roster on the other side. And that's what the Jazz have done. They have offensive players. So the two things I think are so interesting about this discussion with the Jazz and trading is, one, Okay, they want a defensive wing who can shoot. Well, that's an all-star, right? Like, that, that's an all-star. There really are not, like, oh, I'm a long six-foot-eight defensive wing and I can shoot and score. Okay, well, I'm Paul George. <laughs> so it, it's kind of a that, – that to me is kind of laughable. Then part two is, okay, well, we just want a defensive wing. Great. Well, you can go get Torrey Craig. He shoots 28% from three, and now the entire balance of what the Jazz have built, which is the number one offense in the NBA – with Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, or at the time Joe Ingles coming off a Rudy Gobert pick, Rudy rolling, you either have to put two guys on the ball or a a third guy on the roller, leaving a 40% three-point shooter wide open, or you're hugging the three-point shooters, and now Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Joe Ingles are going to the basket, or Rudy Gobert is rolling. And this is why, for most of the year, Donovan Mitchell was the number one pick-and-roll player in all the NBA. Mike Conley was the fourth-best pick-and-roll player in the NBA because – of that setup. So you go make a change there where, okay, we're going to go get a defensive wing to help us out who shoots 32% from three. 
well, okay, well, I can now tell you who's coming off the pick and roll and hitting Rudy Gobert on every roll and how they're double teaming Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley on every roll, on every pick and roll, and how Boyan Bogdanovich on one end and whoever our other shooter is can't get free because the 32% three point shooter is wide open every single time, right? So it's to me, it's kind of on a, it's a, when we hold this conversation, it's a complete disregard to the fact that they're the best offensive team in the league and that they've actually built a system that's perfect. Then on the defensive side, I find it laughable too because, all right, so the Jazz list of good defenders after Rudy Gobert, okay, we're done. <laughs> I mean, it's a little unfair to Royce O'Neal gets the assignment every night, but I, I actually not totally convinced that Royce is an elite-level defensive player. He would have been drafted. Right, he's undrafted because he's six four and a little undersized and not elite, crazy athletic. So yeah, oh, let, let, let's even give it to Royce. So let's take what Gavin kind of implied that Royce is an elite defender and you're trying to upgrade Royce. So we go get Jeremy Grant, a thirty four percent career three point shooter, if I'm correct on that. Who, by the way, Donovan Mitchell torched in the bubble. I find mm-hmm. it curious that Utah Jazz fans now have him as an elite defensive player. <laughs> But let's say he's elite defensively. My hair's like now gone all crazy. And he's guarding R.J. Barrett against the Knicks. We're playing the Knicks, and he's guarding R.J. Barrett because that's your best score. What's the first thing you're going to do? Probably go at him. Attack him? (laughs) Well, I mean, no. Let's assume he actually can defend for a second. He's guarding R.J. Barrett. What's the first? You're going to run a pick and roll to go get a small, small pick and roll to go get – Okay, so adding one elite defender to a team without elite defenders mm-hmm. doesn't really make a huge amount of sense to me because really what you're doing is you're adding one elite defender to a team without elite defenders so that you can have one bad shooter on the floor now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I will say you're giving the Knicks a lot of credit, assuming that they would run small, small pick and rolls because that's not one of Tibbs' favorites. <laughs> However, that is that is what you, what in theory you would do. All right, guys, it's about that time. Let's take our first break with David and tell you a little. Hold bit on, about- you're you're uh, sorry. It just like oh. it got real loud for a second for some reason. Like oh, that, that happened. You know, it's funny that happened to me when I was recording last night when I first started talking. All right, let me let me do All that right. again. Three, yeah. two, one. All right, guys, it's about that time. Let's take our first break with David and tell you about one of our all-time favorite sponsors. It is Bet Online. They have you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game in a couple of weeks, BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline is up to the minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online where the game starts. I do want to, uh, I, this leads perfectly into the first and probably only real player that we're going to make a sales pitch for you here. And it's probably someone that you're intimately familiar with. Um, so I'll just, I'll introduce the the jingle stuff real quick. He, he has a torn ACL. He's out for the rest of the year. Averaged uh, seven and a half points, 2.9 boards, three and a half assists this year for the jazz. So, you know, he, he, does a pretty good amount of playmaking for a wing for them. Um, good three-point shooter was a little down this year. I think was shooting around 34%, but usually closer to a 40% three-point shooter. Uh, so I think it, what the Jazz would probably be looking for at a somewhat reasonable cost would be some shooting and playmaking off the bench. 
So let me introduce you or reintroduce you to Alec Burks uh, as a potential player here. He's currently this season averaging 11 points, 40% from three on about five attempts per game. Uh, in November and December, he shot 43% from three. Since then, he's been 32%, uh, and he's been 33% at the rim. Not fantastic, but one might argue that that has a little more to do with uh, how the Knicks have been utilizing him more so right, than anything stop, else. Stop on that Stop on that argument. I watched mm-hmm. A.B. as a young player. I know him well. I adore him. He's one of my favorite people. He's never been good at the rim. <laughs> yes, he's, he's not good at the rim, but he's, he's I don't know if he's necessarily 33% bad all the time. Uh, he played with Utah for he's the first really seven and a half. Thirty-three percent. That that's in that's in that's for, since January first. That's in twenty twenty-two. The month before he was at forty-three percent. So there's... yeah, so not not too shabby before that. Um, but he's played with the, he played with the Jazz for the first seven and a half years of his career. Uh, also, the Knicks and Jazz have a little bit of a history at this point in the Leon Rose era. Uh, of course, took Walt Perrin from uh, the Jazz's scouting staff to be one of the head scouts for the Knicks. Uh, and then since then, they've made two trades out of the I, – I didn't get a final count, but the Knicks have made about six or seven trades total in the Leon Rose year, most of them very minor around the margin stuff. But traded with the Jazz for pick 23 prior to the 2020 draft. They would later trade down and end up with Emmanuel quickly. That led to a very fun uh, uh, draft night show for Locked On uh, NBA. Uh, and then they also execute the Ed Davis trade uh, in the – 2020 to 21 offseason and got a second round pick in exchange and then eventually flipped Davis to the Timberwolves and got a couple more second round picks. Uh, so, David, my, I guess before we start getting into what a potential Burks trade might look like, it, again, being intimately familiar with him, to me, it, it seems like he would be a pretty good fit for what they just lost in Jingles to a degree. And I think they, I, I could tell you from last year to this year, from a Knicks perspective, he he improved a lot as a defender, at least early on this year. And I think that some things schematically have changed a little bit, and he seems to have fallen off a bit there. But there was a stretch earlier in the season where we were saying consistently, like, he's the best wing defender on the Knicks right now, but also shoots like 40% from three for his career, basically. So how do you feel about him as a potential target, particularly if it's not someone that's going to cost you a, a ton of capital? Well, first thing – about him personally, I, I do feel like I know him well. I mean, he came to us in 2011, and I was the radio voice at the time. He was 20 years old. He was pretty quiet. His dad is the most smiley person I've ever been around in my whole life. I've never seen anyone in a better mood than his father all the time. His mom's just an absolute um, uh, doll's probably the wrong word, but just has this kind of curly hair and looks so in such good mood all the time. And so it's a great family. I mean, he's an interesting case, right? He averaged 21 points a game at Colorado bonafide scorer coming into the league actually got drafted before clay um, in that draft, if I remember correctly, or maybe clay was the pick right before him. Um, And, you know, he really came in the league to score and was not an outside shooter. He was a rim driver every single time. Craig Bullerjack, our TV announcer called him Houdini for all his moves at the rim. Some of us used to joke that he was Houdini because he made easy layups hard every single time and found a way to miss them. Um, which was kind of the running joke. But then he really has evolved. He used to be a guy who took about 20% of his shots as threes. By the end of his time in Utah, he took about 30% of his shots as threes. And now he's taking about 45 to 50% of his shots as threes. So that's really an incredible tribute to Alec for the, the way he's evolved as a player. The other thing I just think is remarkable about him, I do believe in the nylon calculus rule that you are – 
kind of what you were in your last 753s. And he's a 41.4% three-point shooter in his last 753s. So you're talking about a six foot six, 210-pound wing player who I am surprised on basketball reference to see he's playing 22% of his minutes as point guard because he's not one I ever thought could play point guard or see the floor. Um, but I think, you know, probably now in this day and age can switch one through four pretty adequately with his size and has become a bona fide three-point shooter. Um, I, 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 I love A.B. the guy. Um, I remember very well seeing him leave Brooklyn the night we traded him and just this stunning look on his face when it happened. I think he's evolved, you know, and he did, you know, to his credit, he got better from that day on. I think he's really a great NBA story, actually, of someone who's evolved and shown maturity and is a baller. Like, I think there's basketball players and there's ballers, and the ballers are the guys that just want to play and they want to play all the time, and A.B. is a baller. Um, so, I mean, I'd love to have A.B. back on the roster. The, 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 the reason, I think, ironically enough, the reason the Jazz might not want to do this deal um, if you're doing a Joe Ingles for Alec Burks, and I don't know if the numbers have worked on it, um, there's some appealing aspects to it from a Jazz standpoint is that A.B. at 9.5 and Joe at 13, we'd have to throw something else in that deal. Oh, actually, that deal works, mm-hmm. which gets really interesting in this sense. So this is actually interesting. There's some reasons why this deal makes sense. One is A.B. fits the Joe Ingles role not as well as you portrayed it to me, if I'm perfectly honest, but I think in, in a manner that might actually be better. For the Jazz, he's a better athlete. He, he moves more. Um, he, I guess he can play pick and roll. I'd have to look. I didn't think he could. Um, but here's the things that get interesting, and that's the cap dynamics to it. So one is it clears $9.5 million or $9.8 million off your books for each of the next two years, um, which is really appealing to you. It saves the Jazz, who are a cap or luxury tax team, Right now, and I don't, you probably know the luxury. I'm sure Gavin knows the luxury tax better than I do. Um, I just called you a geek. Um, $3.5 million, which with the tax, then if I have it right, comes out to about seven or nine million dollars, right? Isn't that mm-hmm. like, yeah, depending so, on how far along they are in their repeater tax and that yeah. sort of thing? Um, yeah, I, you know. Yeah. The, the other trade I actually think the Jazz have to really consider is Joe Ingles to Oklahoma City for and a, Joe Ingles and a pick, along with you know one other player for to Oklahoma City, and they're give, the Jazz give up a pick, Joe Ingles and another player, and they get out of the tax. Like mm-hmm. I think they really have to consider it. Like the, there's an interesting situation here where suddenly 15 million gets them out of tax, but um, this one's not crazy. Like it, if if the Knicks have no role for Alec Burks for the next two years and want off of that contract. Um, the question for the Jazz from a salary standpoint, one, they would sit. What's, what's interesting is they would save themselves. So, Alec, uh, Gavin, do you actually know? I mean, I was giving you a hard time there. But so what is what is in tax land three point five million dollars? Is it is it seven? Is it seven or is it nine? Or what is the how does the tax? I, I might be less of a geek than you're giving me credit for. Alex I, 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 I don't know that. Alex <laughs> might be the might be the better geek here. Um, <laughs> It's it's like it depends. Um, I think depending on how long you've been in the luxury tax depends on uh, on how that second, ends up working. It'll be our second season. I don't think we're a total repeater yet. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's it scales like at first it's like fifty um, percent or something like that, and then it, you can gradually I think get up to the point where you're paying like almost like two hundred percent 
or more, or maybe even up to 300% of a guy's salary, depending on how long you've been over the tax line for. So what's interesting is I think the Jazz can come close to saving just about the amount of money that Alec Burks' contract is the next year. Yeah. Okay. But so here it is, here it is right here. Just it, so for uh, so for a non-repeater, uh, depending on how much you're over the tax as well, uh, so goes 15. any. Yeah. So it goes anywhere from a dollar fifty to a dollar. So like one point five to one, all the way up to three point two five to one, uh, or actually potentially up to three point seven five or more to one if you're over twenty million dollars over the tax. Uh, if you're on the repeater. Uh, which is, I think that's actually just if you do two seasons or more, uh, then that goes up to at minimum two fifty to a dollar, and up as high as four seventy five to a dollar with an extra fifty cents for each additional five million over twenty million dollars. So, so there's some reasons to do it. The reason the Jazz wouldn't want to do it is because they don't want to stay over the tax, and they would probably rather let Joe Ingles' contract expire in the off season and then not fill that spot because then that clears them $13 million off their books rather than clearing just four. Yeah. All right. Uh, David, we'll, we'll send you out on this. Um, I'm going to try and combine our last two questions here. I'm going to see if I can pull it off. Um, because our ideal version of this trade, and I don't know if Utah would have any appetite for this would be Joe Ingles and the earliest uh, Utah can trade a first round pick, depending on if it can. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> stop i'm done yeah. okay next like we're not talking picks okay so you think the utah would so be completely prep- opposed to you're getting tri- nine you're getting nine million dollars off your books in each of the next two years where's the pick we're getting oh i mean burks isn't a negative value deal in our eyes i mean but it is I, if th- you're trying to sign a free agent you want to be a, and yeah. you need to put in cap space I think the Knicks would consider it. They would cross that bridge when they get there. Uh, I don't think that they have. They maybe have their eyes right, on Jalen Brunson. We're going to go. I'm called Sacramento, <laughs> Minnesota, and Detroit, and a few other people. See ya. All right. So we will, I'll, I'll eliminate that aspect of the question. Um, but let's, let's, let's very quickly talk Donovan Mitchell because there's a report from Rick Bucher last week uh, that he talked to an Eastern Conference scout. They spelled his name wrong when they did that, when they all published that report. I oh. think he was bummed about that when he made up the story. And then <laughs> there there, there you go. It. All right. Uh, well, so I, I think I have, I have a sense of your opinion on it, but he he, re- he reported, I'll, I'll put that in quotes for you, uh, that an Eastern Conference scout said to him that Mitchell is, is quote unquote, a first round exit away from the Knicks. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell has four years left on his contract. So like you, I did not put a whole lot of weight on that. Um, but obviously, uh, Utah's had their playoff frustrations over the last couple of years. So I will frame it this way. What do you think is the vibe with Donovan Mitchell in Utah right now and his level of contentment with everything that is happening there? Well, I am not going to be a favorite of your fans, but I find it so rich (laughs) that because of the Jazz playoff frustrations, we're going to go to the Knicks, who last won a playoff series in 2013. (laughs) I find that pretty rich. I mean, he does love orange and blue, I guess. You know, dad was a Met. He's a New York guy, right. Hey, (laughs) conversation's going to go on forever. I'm not getting into it. Like, it's like... I, you know, I, I, the biggest weakness in our media today is that somebody can publish a report, whether and none of us have any idea of it has any validity at all. And then it all, we all run with it and talk about it because it's talk fights. What we do on the podcast network too. We're not innocent of it. That's the biggest weakness of our game. I, I don't think, I don't know of it having any validity, so I'm not going to talk about it. I just will say that I find it rich that the Knicks are the place you want to go if you've because the only way you could, the Knicks have solved playoff failure, I mean the mm-hmm. Knicks have only had one playoff failure since 2013. I congratulate you. It's <laughs> it's it's absolutely terrific. 
you have found a way. I mean, the uniqueness of the Nick organization that you actually never go to the playoffs and never sign a lottery pick to a second contract is one of the most fabulous things I've ever seen. So congratulations, because I think it's, you know, Charlie Wade or Charlie Ward, I don't remember his name, is the last first-round draft pick that you signed with a second contract while never being in the playoffs. I think it's an incredible combination. And so clearly a perfect destination for a star player in the NBA. Well, for what it's worth, our our local – Favorite guy, Ian Begley uh, of SNY, did get asked about the Rick Bucher report and did say, while acknowledging ties to Leon Rose, his former agent, uh, the fact that that Mitchell grew up in New York, the Mets, all that good stuff, uh, did say there was lots of hurdles to clear, uh, that just that the Knicks situation is interesting regarding how they approach their assets going forward as some of them start to approach their expiration dates, like their 2023 maps. Are the Knicks going to be in serious play for Donovan Mitchell in his contract when he's a free agent? Absolutely. So is Miami and so is LA and so is everybody Mm -hmm. else. He's a star player. And so is that the case for every (laughs) single star player. And because he's a star player, it's probably not four years. It's probably three and it might be two, but it's Mm -hmm. not today. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're largely in agreement with you for what it's worth. Although, I had to take some cheap shots at Knicks fans. While I was about to say, we wouldn't have laid bare all the Knicks failures like that because we know yeah. our audience and we know they're not going to love that. So, <laughs> so I, you I mean, guys I will... now have another segment where you have to make a decision of whether or not you're going to roast your boss for being a total a-hole on your show <laughs> or whether you're going to roll over Oh boy! <laughs> and let me get away with that. You decide what you think is the right call for your future of keeping your fans happy or your boss pissed. Up to you, well, David. Do you watch every show? I mean, come on. <laughs> you're busy. You're a busy guy. You might miss. You're a, segment. a busy man. Come on. We have a staff Skip this final now. segment. All right. All right. Well, all right. Well, David, thank you so much. Uh, before we send you out, uh, can you tell everyone? Because I'm sure you've, you've won a lot of fans over here today. Uh, where they can find all your work. <laughs> Feel free to hit me up at DLock09 on Twitter. I love the troll. I asked for it. I'll take it. Trash talk right. me all you want. You deserve it because I gave it back to you. It's the beauty of our world. DLock09 David will give Twitter. you will give you all of the Rudy Gobert screen assist numbers you could ever want right. in your whole life. Uh, Top five most impactful player in the NBA. Oh, okay. See you. Hi, David. All right. Thanks so much for popping on, David. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to take our second break. Just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which could be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By week three, you might be thinking, this isn't worth it. Where's the chocolate? Well, sound the alarm, and I hear it. That Built Bars have chocolate, and they are all covered in 100% real chocolate, and they only contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs, compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. If you compare that to a candy bar, which has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs, plus the dreaded fat, it's a no-brainer. You got to go with Built Bars if your New Year's resolution is about getting fit and eating healthy. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. 
All right, and we're back for our third segment. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen. The NBA trade deadline is Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m., and the Locked On NBA podcast will be covering it live from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Join Kim Becker, John Corrales, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to get analysis of every blockbuster move. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA YouTube and turn your notifications on so you know when they go live. Maybe, hopefully, you'll be seeing some of us. If it's according to our boss, David Locke, who you just heard from, Maybe we won't be talking about a Knicks-Jazz trade nearly as much as we thought we might be. Uh, first off, uh, that that evisceration of the Knicks was something. <laughs> yeah. um, I was not expecting, you know, the roast of the New York Knicks uh, no. for a solid two minutes there. But you know what's funny, Alex? We we asked him to come on, but it feels like he's been waiting for that invitation. For he has four or five years now, just yeah. just counting down the days until he could get this off his chest. And to, yeah, and and just waiting for that Mitchell question to be able to unload the clip and be like, why would he ever want to come yeah. to your piece of trash organization? Right. And to be um, clear, like there was a report. This wasn't us being like, well, Donovan Mitchell. He has. Some yeah, there was. It's there like, was like if we had made it up out of thin air i would i would get him i I would be upset too but yeah it was rick buker legitimate nba reporter david my personal sources are telling me that donovan mitchell is guaranteed to no (laughs) i think we would have we would have been fired on the spot oh man yeah that would have been it that would have been it um at at any rate gavin i thought that the most interesting thing other than the evisceration of the knicks right there was the fact that david basically in moments quashed the idea of a potential first round pick coming back for Alec Burke. So we came into this thinking like, okay, yeah, let's see if we can get a first round pick and maybe Jared Butler out of them or something like that. Maybe see if we could foist Kemba Walker on them as like a quote unquote bench score. But it, it seems like, I mean, it is easy to forget as a, as a team in the Knicks that don't often deal with these sort of things, but that luxury tax and that sort of thing does matter to other teams. Um, and contract length matters, I think, more so to other teams than the Knicks oftentimes and stuff like that. So that seemed to be a pretty pretty important aspect to in David's mind as far as what the Jazz would want in this deal, which is in part, you know, basically just a straight up Burks for uh, Jingle swap that would then, you know, allow them to free up that cap space. The Knicks probably just end up waiving Jingles or offer up their facilities for him to rehab in if he wants it, you know, if he wants to stay on the roster. Um, but either way, just kind of letting him do his own thing. And, you know, maybe even go back to the Jazz in the offseason for for all that it matters. Uh, but he, he was very dismissive of the first-round pick thing. And uh, the way he was talking, I don't think that the Knicks would even be able to try to get, like, a Jared Butler off of them, which I thought would just be sort of an interesting, you know, piece to try to grab to finish off the trade. Like, what was your reaction to that i it took me off guard but we didn't have a ton more time to talk about it with him about why that would be so off the table i i was hurt alex i, I was hurt no <laughs> um i think um i think what so here was his core conceit right was that utah healthy was already an nba title contender and any substar player that they could acquire wasn't really going to make a significant difference one way or another and i think we should take david at his word on that because he's very, this is me like I'm my boss, just, just haven't been around him, exceptionally smart about basketball, and someone who spends an infinite amount of time with the Utah Jazz and is, is very much inside that organization. Um, I think he would, he would have a pretty good gauge of that. That being said, with Joe Ingles getting hurt, that changes the equation, right? Because Utah is not an extremely deep team, and they're really not an extremely deep team on the wing, and they got decimated last year by one of Joe Ingles or uh, – Bojan Bogdanovic just sort of getting picked out by a Clippers wing and, and, and getting torched over and over and over again. Um, and, and to David's point, like if you 
there, there isn't a player on the market who could solve that. But where Alec Burks, I think, defensively could be worth a first-round pick is that he, I mean, to David's own admission, is a better athlete than someone like Joe Ingles and at the very least can cut down on the margin for error, right? Even if you're not going to totally stop that targeting that is, is sort of epitomizes playoff basketball, you can mitigate it a little bit with someone who is an average defender versus someone who is a below average defender. And in particular, with Joe Ingles now out, I mean, who comes into that spot for Utah? There isn't really another obvious name up. So I think the Jazz are in a position where they do sort of have to make a move. And he's understandably dismissive of the idea that Donovan Mitchell is going to be traded this offseason. I agree with that. I think it's ridiculous. I don't think there's any world where Utah would do that, even, even if Mitchell was kind of itching to leave because he just signed, again, a five-year extension. That being said, this is a team that lost in the first round two years ago, two years in a row, then lost in the second round two years in a row. There, there's a palatable frustration in Utah. And last year in particular, they lose to a Clippers team that does not have Kawhi Leonard. And, and a team that I think if they're going to make a run, this sort of feels like the year. Like, is Rudy Gobert ever going to be better than he is now? Is Bogdanovich ever going to be better than he is now? Conley certainly isn't going to be better than he is now. So I think there's there's a case to be made that this team should very much be all in. And, I mean, if we had a little bit more time with David, I would have asked him, all right, if not Alec Burks, then, then who, is, who is the guy you're going af- after? And if you're just going off of Joe Ingles or, or getting off of Joe Ingles and not getting anything back, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't think that team is getting through Golden State and Phoenix and whoever else. Like if, if Denver gets healthy, like I would put them fourth or fifth in the Western Conference pecking order. Heck, we just saw how good Memphis was last night. Yeah, you know, and the the other thing too, I'm struggling to remember. The the Memphis pick I know obviously was from the uh, the Conley trade, which is the, the pick that's coming up this year. What was the deal that they made with Oklahoma City where they exchanged the first round pick to Oklahoma City? Do you remember Doesn't Oklahoma City just have first round picks from everyone? Isn't that just kind of it, automatic? Yeah, I thought that maybe they just did, but it was it was a uh, an Oklahoma City and Utah transaction on well, I guess they did something last summer and then and then did something a little more this year to uh, adjust the protections or something. But I mean, it, you know, to me, I'm like I, I think this team would pay for a really solid role player to upgrade their team. And you know, to your oh, point, it was for, yeah, it was for the uh, Derek Favors trade. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that Utah has proven that they are willing to include a first round pick here and there to get a deal done. I would not be surprised if for all the reasons that, you know, we laid out with the connections to the Knicks and the fact that these two teams have been dealing with each other, you know, pretty often in the Leon Rose era, thanks to that Walt Perrin connection. I mean, I I wouldn't be completely surprised if they were willing. I mean, I don't think the Knicks, the Knicks, just like David said that the, that the jazz would just say, you know, Oh, kick rocks. If you're not willing to just take, you know, salary relief or whatever, or not even sal- sort of salary relief, long-term salary relief, but not short-term, um, you know, kick rocks. If you're not willing to just do jingles for Alec Burke straight up, if I'm the Knicks, I would say kick rocks. If you're not going to give me something to make it worth my while, because there are Burks teams are- that will give something yeah. worthwhile for Alec Burks. Yeah. Absolutely. He, I mean, his contract is not an albatross. I mean, it, a 40% three point shooter. That's a good defender. That's still sub 30 years old if I'm not mistaken, I think he's still 29 or maybe he just turned 30, but you know, a player of Burks's caliber that's shooting 40% from three and does everything that he does on the court is not a player that you just kind of like get for free. Um, so I, I wonder how much that was, that was David's brain kicking in versus what he thinks that the organization would do. Um, but to me, I, 
I don't think it's so much of a no-brainer that the Knicks would ask for like a first-round pick for Bryce, particularly if they're taking back a guy that they're saying, okay, we'll do you a favor and save you on your luxury tax bill this year, and we're just going to eat the salary of this guy that we have no you know, intention of keeping that's probably going to go back and re-sign with you this, this offseason, if we're being honest. Like, <laughs> you know, the Knicks are not just going to be like, oh, yeah, we're so desperate to get off Alec Burks because the reality is, is that if it hits this coming, uh, you know, free agency period and they need to shed some money, Alec Burks will have value this coming free agency period, too. And they could just as easily on probably on the same day find some team to at least give them a second round pick or or a pair of second round picks or something for Alec Burks in the offseason as they could at this deadline. And so that's kind of where I stand with it. Like, I think maybe there's a little more chance that there could be a deal to be made here than David does. Uh, if, if I'm looking at it from my perspective, but obviously, like you said, he's a guy that literally lives covering that team. Um, <laughs> which I guess we could say we kind of do for the Knicks now too, but he's literally with them on the road and everything else too. Yeah, so I think we're going to hang out privileges. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if anyone has a good feel for what they're thinking, maybe it's David and maybe our whole thought of a potential Alec Burks to the jazz deal is more of a pipe dream than we think. But I think it's, I think it's something that could definitely happen. Uh, I guess we'll have to see when the trade deadline comes, but I would not be surprised if it happened. However, after talking to David now, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't happen too, if that's really how the jazz are, are approaching this whole thing. Yeah, I'm with you, Alex. Um, I think that's as good of a note as any to wrap up on. So you guys heard us get uh, personally attacked by our boss uh, <laughs> on, on, on live podcast air. It was great. Um, but yeah, I think I think it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I think Alec Burks will will prove to have positive value if the Knicks do try to trade him. But for Alex Wolf, I'm Gavin Shaw. That is it for this edition of Locked on Knicks. That is it for this week of Locked On Knicks. We'll be back with a gamer for you on Monday morning. But until then, enjoy your weekend. Peace out, and we'll talk to you soon.